58 kingpin a man of many positions but primarily a marketer and sounds like just from our short conversation a great man to have in your corner thank you i appreciate that i would love to hear more and learn more about you. Thank you for first and foremost, though, for hopping yeah, on. Thank you for the hospitality. Thank you for the opportunity, man. It's always, it's always great to connect with like-minded individuals that are trying to push the boundaries of creation and entrepreneurship. So, anything that I could do to participate in that and help our community grow in the city of Atlanta and beyond, because I'm sure you guys have listeners all over the globe. So, hello to everybody who's listening and to everybody watching on the video. What up, though? <laughs> appreciate that. Appreciate that, yes, sir. man. I would love to just start here. Um, you've done quite a bit and supported um, a lot of infrastructure around, especially Atlanta, for, for a minute. But how did you get into the music industry specifically? Um, I was working at a warehouse. My younger brother was living with me, and one of his friends had came home after school one day and was like, hey, man, I want you to look at this contract. I'm going to be a rapper. And I didn't know anything about rapping or contracts. You know, I'd always talked about opening a club one day when I got out of prison and stuff like that. But it was always dreams and talks. And you know, I told him, I said, I don't think you should sign that. You know what I mean? It's really blank, and they want you to fill in your name and stuff. Don't do it. So the next day, I was having a conversation with one of my coworkers at work. We were, you know, joking about it. Like, man, could you believe this kid? He was going to get signed. So another one of the guys walks in. And he's like, man, you know about the music business? And I was like, no, I don't know anything about it, but I know a bad contract when I see one. So we got the, you know, we got the politic and, and come to find out he had a recording studio maybe four or five blocks away from my house. So that night we, we had worked the night shift. So that night when we got off of work, I went to the studio and I didn't get out till the next day in the afternoon. And here I am. That's it. I never, <laughs> I quit my job. I never looked back. I, you know, I, I had it. I did it. And when I started to ask for time off to go to my first music conference and stuff, and, and they were like, you know, hey man, we, we need somebody that's going to be here. And you know, of all the jobs, of all the things I, I've done in my life, I've always gambled on myself. And I believed in my ability to provide enough for myself and my family at the time that I would be able to survive and, and ultimately succeed. So it was, you know, I, I've spoke about this in the past. I've been blessed that I came from a long line of entrepreneurs. You know, my father, my mother, my uncles, everybody owned their own business. Everybody that I've known, all the people that I grew up with in some way, shape, or form, they either worked for themselves or was a boss and worked with somebody. Very few people in my life ever worked for anybody. Not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but that was the example that I was given. So it really wasn't that much of a gamble for me to go, oh, you know what, I'm out of here. And I did it, and I didn't look back, and it's been up, it's been down, it's been rough. There was a lot of times where I had to try to find myself, um, question myself, and that's kind of why I do what I do now, because if, if somebody would have bothered to share with me some of the things that I learned along the way that may have helped me arrive at the position or at the place where I could help others sooner, then maybe we could have changed the culture. Maybe we could have pivoted somewhere. Maybe we could have helped somebody else. And then by definition, we could have changed the life or even ultimately saved the life. You know what I mean? So, you know, with the way the entertainment industry is set up and, and, and the way that we consume content, if you don't own it, if you don't establish ownership at the origin, if you don't know what you're looking at when you open the hood, you put yourself at a gross disadvantage to where you'll accept whatever is being offered. Right, your first ever music conference. And you said that you believe conferences are worth it. 
What was your mentality going into that first concert? And, and let's you know talk about how you feel. I wanted to get to the city a day early because I wanted to see the lay of the land, and I still do that in most cases. You know, if I get to a city that I haven't been to, or if I get somewhere that I'm unfamiliar with, I want to get there as much in advance as possible. If I can get there a day early, cool. Um, and when I got to the event, the event started at 12. I wanted to get there at 9 in the morning because I wanted to set up. I wanted to go and I wanted to meet the people that were going to be opening the doors and, and putting the keys in. And I, I learned early in my entertainment industry that if you, if you act like you're supposed to be there, very few people are going to stop you. And I would show up with a camera, and that was my thing. You know, I was, I was published in Ozone Magazine before I ever did anything else. You know, shout out to Julia Beverly. And, I was able to use that camera and I would go to red carpets and as I would see people or DJs walk by with no red carpet, no camera, I would jump out screaming their name and turn the camera on that light and walk my way into a room and then when I got into the room it was off to the races, it was all about networking so, you know, I finessed my way into 1,400 conferences. I finessed my entire team into 1,400 conferences. I paid to be a part of 1,400 conferences. It's, I wanted to do it, you know what I mean? So I found a way to do it and when I got to those cities, yeah, I would have loved to have had the extra money to go shopping or go to a club and buy a bottle and make a spectacle. I was lucky if I had enough money to feed my whole team. And we were out there promoting for the artists and every song that you put on is how much money they got and their diamonds and blings. But the street team got to bust down 99 cent meals. Like, that's real. I did that. I've walked in the room. I've biggest walked into rooms where it's been 12 people in a two-bedroom room during Memorial Weekend with 10,000 CDs stacked up to the ceiling. And Biggest walked in there while we're taking shifts. People sleeping, people working, and people stuffing CDs. Because how do you pass out 10,000 CDs? And they haven't really used all of the tools to their advantage. Here's one. If you're going to a music conference, right? Google Earth. Google Earth is going to give you, you can look at the street. So if I'm going to a venue, if I'm going to the, I'm going to the Core DJs Music Conference in Miami, July 21st through July 24th of the year 2023 this year, Rolling Loud Weekend, and I want to know what I could do, I'm going to Google the Intercontinental Miami where the host hotel is, and I'm going to pull up the street view. Ask me why I want the street view, because I want to know, do I need a stapler to hang these posters on poles? Are they wooden poles or are they concrete poles? Hmm. How many poles? How many poles will tell me how many posters I need to put up? How many posters I need to put up will tell me, well, if there's poles, then I'm not going to be the only one in doing this. What time does it start? At 12? I've got to get there at 9. Now I've got a schedule. I've got an itinerary. Now, when I put them up an hour and a half later, I got to come back and replenish. Whatever got taken down, got to get put back up. I could use Google Maps to my advantage. I could use events in the city. Now I'm going to go down and check the Miami Herald. I'm going to see what events are happening that weekend because the events are going to have the DJ on the flyer. And if the DJ's on the flyer, he's got his Instagram online. And if he's got his Instagram online, he's got his email address in his bio. And maybe, just maybe, he replied to my email and said he likes my record and is willing to play it. I don't know. I don't know if I don't try. And because I'm lazy, because I think that the internet is more than just, it's supposed to make me a star by just dropping music, it scares me that these kids don't open the emails like I did today that tells me Luminate's new data says that 41% of the records that are available online, that's over 67 million, have 10 or less streams. You started to touch on something that I was actually going to ask you, but I feel like we can go even deeper on that one. The old street team way of doing things, which still does apply, it's just now more avenues to get to people. Right. What are some of those things that you feel like translate those small nuggets that you had to learn in those trenches that you feel feel like to either translate online or have used online to empower? 
I think most people fail to put a call to action on their promotional items. Um, you know, major labels are notorious for like just flyers. You're talking about flyers, okay. posters. You know, <laughs> some people are just they'll throw a picture of a flyer up. I challenge you, go down Midtown and find one of those artists that have an album out. And there's no QR code on it. There's no. It's just a picture on a trash can. So when it comes to marketing, whatever it is, street marketing, digital marketing, the call to action, is it educating, is it informing, is it empowering, what is it doing? And I think as, as creatives, we get so caught up trying to create. Well, people are going to laugh, and if I can make them laugh, they're going to love me, so I'm going to wear a wig. Or I'm going to start doing funny skits, or I'm going to start acting crazy, or I'm going to start doing all these things that are against who I really am, because I feel that attention equals retention, and, you know, you may pass by and look at a, at a crash, but when was the last time you saw a crash that you loved so much you had to stop and stare at it? Park, come back, let me go get in traffic again and keep coming back and look at it, never. You'll see the accident, look at it, man, that's messed up and keep it pushing. That's what some of these, some of these things are, they're accidents, good or bad. And because they weren't ready to capitalize off of that, it becomes a bad accident. Could you imagine what happens if all of your stuff is owned and then you trigger a viral moment, it makes the difference in the bag they offer you. It makes the difference in the stipulations of that contract, in the limitations and what they're trying to tie their money into. You now walk into it with leverage. That's all we're saying. We're not saying that if you do these things, you will become a star. We're saying that if you do these things, you're establishing ownership so that in the event, in the event, because it's hitting the lottery, 100,000 songs a day, 36 and a half million records a year, 67 million records as of today have only streamed 10 or less. That's every record for the last two years.